welcome in to another episode of Turn the Corner, a Detroit Tigers podcast. I am Kieran Steckley. With me, as always, is a man who taught himself how to Dougie. He is Cody Stavenhagen. How you doing? Doing all right, Kieran. We are into spring training. We got games going on, and suddenly we have a lot of stuff to talk about. Like, too much for one episode after an offseason of just nothing. Comes all at once. Funny how that works. <laughs> It's kind of like attention from the ladies, you know. You go uh, have a dry spell, and then uh, and then all of a sudden one starts talking to you, and then you got, and then another one starts talking. You know, things happen in waves, and and baseball news is no different. Uh, in case you missed it, because you certainly didn't see it, most likely Tigers have played two spring training games. That is a four-two win over the Philly squad, and a ten-to-six loss at the hands of the Baltimore Orioles squad. And I was kind of hoping they would win the second game just so we could do a fun little banter about like, oh, undefeated, you know, is this regime off to a great start? That came to a crashing halt uh, real quick against Baltimore. But regardless, uh, your first time seeing major leaguers, Cody, with a pitch clock, that's the big thing right now all over Twitter and all over baseball, uh, water coolers, if you would, seeing it with the big leaguers, what was that like? Uh, it was like watching the minor leagues last year. It, it was a nice pace. It goes quick. Sometimes you're like, is this almost a little too quick? <laughs> so, you know, now they've ruined baseball. Baseball is too fast now. That's, that's, I've, I've heard that a little bit. Um, but I think it's good for the most part. I think there have been only a few uh, violations. Obviously, the Braves-Red Sox game is kind of a high-profile mm-hmm. violation ended on a automatic strike. But I think otherwise players are going to get used to this and Fans will get used to it, too. I think in a month or so, we are not even talking about it. Sunday's Tigers game, a lot of runs scored, a lot of pitching changes, kind of an ugly game, some walks, and still finished in under three hours, whereas otherwise, I think people would have been pretty miserable by the end of it. But the thing no one's talking about is beer sales. There's no way you're going to be able to sell as much beer when the games are going quicker. I think it's a real problem for vendors. It's going to hurt revenues. Yeah, well, that's actually a good point, and I, I did see uh, there's a funny Yankees fan Twitter account, like Patches O'Houlihan. It's a it's a it's a woman who's very funny, baseball banter, Yankee banter. Um, if you want to follow her for that kind of stuff, but she goes, "How am I supposed to get lit in an hour and a half, or you know, however you know long the sales will actually happen?" So that those uh, another example of the ramifications of, of all these news I guess probably some people would say that's a good thing but uh, but you're right the revenue will take a hit there speaking of revenue um, I want to come to this because I neglected to mention it last week and it got brought up again with Scott Harris which we'll get into him kind of opening press conference if you would uh, for spring training first time as Tigers president we talked about the Bally sports thing and like you're going to be able to watch the games, which of course is ironic considering the first two spring training games weren't televised. But that's that, those are not connected at all. It's just coincidence. Some people have brought up like this impending bankruptcy, not not knowing where the, the TV revenue is going to come from exactly, as something that potentially played into the lack of major league signings uh, for the Tigers this year. You can tell me if I'm wrong on this, Cody, but to me, I I just can't really see that actually playing a part because the money's gonna come. Like that's it's not like Bally goes up and then all of a sudden there's no TV revenue that's gonna come in. It will be figured out in some fashion, and obviously TV does drive everything, just in general the revenue. But to me, I I would I would say I would be shocked. If that played into like handcuffing Scott Harris to begin uh, his tenure in charge of the Tigers, uh, he did address it with a very quick no uh, <laughs> at his press conference. Uh, but uh, do you do you agree with me on that? You think that's probably just like a it seems like that's something that's a stretch to be true. But maybe I'm wrong. I, don't I mean, I think chances are it all gets sorted out and teams will still bring in plenty of TV revenue. Uh, but, but it's a little bit hard to say. I think the uncertainty with regional sports work networks does create a little bit of uncertainty in terms of revenue streams. And although chances are um, that it gets figured out, if you're a team, that, especially a team that's not really 
planning to compete? Might it impact your spending? Might it make you be a little more cautious? Uh, I could buy that argument. I don't know if that's what happened with the Tigers. I guess we'll take Scott Harris at his word. I'm also not sure they would say, yes, we definitely didn't spend, you know, because that's just not a good look. Um, so overall, it's it's a little bit hard to know. I think it's another factor that goes into the equation. TV is a huge chunk of the pie. So I, I could see that it might make some teams a little bit leery to spend extra cash. All right. Well, you know, one of those things that we'll never really know the full extent. But, uh, but yeah, speaking of Scott Harris, the, the, the one big thing as I'm doing my notes to begin, you talked about the plethora of stories. I got about three-quarters of the way kind of plotting out the things I wanted to talk about. And I was like, oh, Harris talked. And we kind of said, like, oh, tomorrow he's going to talk on our last pod. So we got to hear from him officially kind of opening camp. Uh, it feel, it, it felt late, though, because so many guys had already been in, but it was still, you know, first reporting day for position players. Uh, Scott Harris, talking talking Tigers to begin camp. Uh, what were your kind of major takeaways? Was Did we learn anything from, from what he, the answers he was able to give? You know, I was talking with some fellow writers right after Scott finished, and someone was like, so what's the, what's the news out of that? And I think we all just kind of gave blank stares at each other. There, there wasn't one uh, big headline or a whole lot new, um, I think. And that's kind of, I didn't write a whole story off of it because I just didn't think there was enough, enough there. I kind of ended up writing a, more of a feature about Scott and AJ and their, you know, how closely they have worked together. But I think if anything to take away from Scott is he outlined a little more clearly his philosophy to building this year's roster and why the Tigers didn't acquire more veterans or maybe go after guys on one-year contracts. Um, he said it in his words pretty clearly, addressed third base a little bit, and he, he said that he believes they attacked third base through the additions of Nick Maton and Justin Henry Malloy. Um, so that was kind of his justification there. And the more I've thought about this, and I've thought of, about it a lot this week, to be honest, I think the less sense this whole approach makes, um, I'm not necessarily trying to be critical of Scott. Again, he's in a tough situation. You're not going to fix all your problems through free agency. Um, but the Tigers just have a lot of players who are question marks. Question mark here, question mark there. The entire bench question marks, battles, competitions. Great to get at bats for young players, uh, but I think I'm of the belief that you can do a little bit of both. I think you could have added a little more stability to this roster and still had plenty of at bats for young players. It's like you said when we were talking about the third base thing a couple of years ago. Wouldn't you feel kind of good if you had Jamer Candelario and Justin Henry Malloy and Ryan Kreidler and Nick Maton, and then if Jamer's playing poorly can cut bait and throw a young guy in there. If Jamer's playing well, great. You don't have to rush these guys. Um, I kind of tend to think major league at bats, I mean, you never quite know how a player's going to perform in the majors, but I kind of tend to think they should go to guys who have really proven themselves and really earned it. I think uh, there is a, a learning ground for players who you're not sure about yet, and I think it's called AAA. Uh, granted, some guys hit great in AAA and can't do it in the majors, Cody Clemens, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. Uh, but most people in this game are smart enough to know through evaluations, you know, if they believe a guy who hits in AAA can translate that to the major leagues. So uh, we got to hear that in Scott's words a little bit more, but we've also heard a lot of branding this week, words like optionality, um, kind of some more of these corporate words, and it, it's really kind of repackaging the... Now, like we, you know, we didn't try that hard. It's interesting uh, because, as I've said before with him, you can tell when something is real and something is not real with kind of the way that, that, that he phrases things. If he wants to let you in on something, he'll let you in on it very, very quickly, very easily. Mm -hmm. And you, as you mentioned, you wrote about it in The Athletic this week, uh, the A.J. Hinch Scott Harris dynamic, the partnership that if it fails and you're going to rebuild 4.0 or, you know, whatever, like there's a lot riding on these guys. And I would say 
I, I do believe that this alignment is synergized, to use another one of those corporate words that may or may not exist, uh, <laughs> between AJ and Scott. But you see it. You're there. You talk to them both. Like, how do you kind of decipher the BS element that is at play? Because you could have written, you could have found a way, a way to write the story about Al Avila and, a and AJ Hinch. You could have said, like, well, you know, Al's old school and Hinch is a little bit more new school, so they balance each other out so well. That story may have been written by somebody, I don't know, but that story kind of, uh, kind of exists, uh, existed, I should say. Uh, which we all know, and we knew at the time, even if we wanted to believe something else, we all knew that was not the case. So how do you, we kind of sort through the BS of this like baseball marriage that's going on by t between two guys that didn't have like a formal relationship prior? I'm not sure knew about each other, obviously, but like how do we kind of allow ourselves to be hurt again, I guess is a way to phrase it with these two guys specifically. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I guess that's the case with um, any manager GM partnership. You're, you're taking a little bit of a risk if you if you put their your trust in them. Uh, but I, I definitely did compare the dynamics to the previous regime. And in fact, I before I write was writing this, I went back and read a story by the late Pedro Gomez right after AJ Hinch was hired about uh, essentially how Hinch and Avila needed each other. And that story wasn't BS. Mm -hmm. Think about it. AJ needed an opportunity coming off suspension. Al needed a dynamic manager to kind of save his own job. And it wasn't like they didn't work closely together. They flew across the country together. They talked all the time. Uh, but I think being around AJ and Scott Harris, you can tell how different the dynamic is. Rather, it kind of an old school GM on his last shot with this new wave manager seeking redemption um, it feels a lot more like two guys who are totally in line, totally in sync, who have a little bit of a runway and some time to build this thing their way and do things completely their way. Um, they talk a lot alike. They use a lot of the same words and phrases. Um, they have spent a lot of time together. Obviously, AJ was still sending Scott emails while he was on the honeymoon, it sounds like. Um... And, and so that's kind of how I went about it, and, and I don't think it's BS. I think, you know, you can write a story about any dynamic between a couple of people and also knowing uh, more about the AJ and Al dynamic and plenty of things that probably getting saved for, for the book, you know. Uh, you just see the difference in the AJ Scott Harris relationship. It's a very different dynamic. And if I had to guess, I would say a better dynamic uh, given, given how in sync they are. Is there, I know some of this stuff was already like in the works uh, prior to, to Harris being hired, but is there any discernible difference in like the the day-to-day -day of spring training, drills, exercises, uh, the methods of, of, of training for pitchers or hitters? It's probably too, maybe it's too early for that. I mean, I know like last week there was some fascination with, uh, who, who, who was it? Was it Bo, Bo Brisky? Like Bo, Bo Brisky was using a medicine yeah, ball to... It's kind of stupid. But no, you do you see guys working out with kind of different equipment. You definitely hear, play, like the hiring of Robin Lund, I think his players are talking about that a lot and using words you've never heard a lot of these guys use before. Um, you can tell they're just bought in on all his biomechanics and, and physics. Uh, some of the training methods are different. You could already tell last year they're training guys differently in the minor leagues. And in terms of overall workouts, there's just like a streamlined feel to it. Everything's been very efficient and quick and well-planned. Uh, I, I said the same thing when AJ was hired. It, there's a, just a more professional big league vibe around. And I think that translates now that Scott is here too i think it's even more of a just a big league like this is a well-oiled machine type of feel that probably was missing a little bit in the past well these two guys are gonna have some decisions to make they probably already have an idea of who will break camp and who's look who's gonna get kind of slotted where either rotations or even down into the minors i don't know how much of an idea they have there's a lot to still figure well, okay, out okay so that, that's okay so that's 
kind of where I was going to get to is that AJ, I thought, had a really interesting quote this week about players potentially making the team. And I wish that I could remember who it was in relation to, but he basically said there are going to be guys that make the team who didn't necessarily perform that well in the spring training. There are going to be guys who perform well in spring training that are not going to make the team because there's a bigger picture uh, outlook with this team. And as with most things, AJ says, it makes a lot of sense. I understand that you don't want to be prisoner of the moment during spring training, right? But at the same time, we had compared this season to maybe it's harkening back to 2021, and that was very much a earn it roster for the most part. You know, obviously there you're always going to put Miguel Cabrera at you know whatever level and and those kind of things, but that was like an earn it roster. The number one example, Akil Badu. Like, you could make the argument that if that mantra, that quote that I have from AJ right there, was to 2021, does he make the team? Do we have those magical Akil moments? Do we get to see him with the batting helmet flying off? I don't know. I think the argument could be made maybe you wouldn't. I'd have to go back and look at the roster again to refresh my mind, but that's kind of what I was thinking because that was like he earned his way onto the roster. I know the Rule 5 element was at play there, but he earned his way onto that roster. This time around, it makes me think that there's not going to be a benefit of the doubt to whatever this year's version of Akil Badu is. And I'm not even saying that's wrong, like I said. But I think it's a slightly different dynamic than what we had had in previous years. I think Akil was a little bit of a unique case. The simple fact he was a Rule 5 pick kind of indicates, well, the Tigers liked his long-term evaluation. Now, going into that spring, I did not think he was going to make the roster. Um, and then he had a terrific spring and very much earned it. But So then he kind of passed the short-term and the long-term evaluation. I think what AJ was really trying to say more than anything was don't get too caught up in spring training stats. Um, the third base competition might not come down to who had the highest batting average in spring training. I think these guys have been evaluating a lot of other factors. I think long-term evaluations are um, part of that. Uh, I would hope that that doesn't take away the competition element. If you, again, think back to 21, you know who played well in spring training? Ericos. You know who didn't make the roster? Ericos. You know what A.J. Hinch said later in the season? Like, we didn't really give him a chance, and that was that was a mistake. So, um, if certain guys come out and are just killing it in spring training, well, I don't know. That also becomes part of their evaluation. Not the whole thing, but a part of it. Um, now, if someone... I don't want to hurt anyone's feelings, but say Brendan Davis, you know, who... Kind of a fringe guy on the roster anyway. Not a lot of long-term projectability there. Let's say he has a really good spring. I don't know if that means he's going to make the roster. But I think if Andy Abanez has a really good spring and Cesar Hernandez has a bad spring, Andy Abanez is probably a favorite over Cesar Hernandez. Uh, especially, you know, younger guys are always going to be favored a little bit, such as, you know, your Ryan Kreidlers, guys who are under team control. Uh, so there, there are definitely a lot of factors into it. I think the bullpen, definitely, they could configure it so many different ways, and I think they have quite a few viable contenders. There might be a guy who has a good spring, and he's a non-roster invite, and he just he just doesn't make the pin because they have a collection of, of eight other dudes that they like more. They like the way um, this lefty gives you a different look, or they decide they really like Matt Whistler's slider, or... Maybe Matt Whistler has a great camp, but they say, well, man, you only throw 90, so we're just not going to put you on the roster. I think that's uh, those are kind of more examples of what AJ was really trying to convey in that moment. Well, something that he didn't have to force us to read between the lines on was uh, kind of get in front of the Colt Keith hype train a little bit there, uh, <laughs> who, if there was a who's your, like, up-and-coming Tiger in your athletic poll, I think Colt Keith would win that because the the hype for this guy is unreal. And, you know, these people aren't making it up. There's reasons to love Colt Keith. Uh, but it, it is kind of funny that AJ had to come out and say, uh, yeah, he's uh, we told him he's, he's 
not making the major league roster, uh, which is fine. Probably let hopefully that just lets him relax a little bit more and 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 go out and perform. And you know, I know it's only you know live BP or whatever, but. He went out and performed a little bit. He's not doing anything himself that's going to slow down this hype train for Colt Keith. Uh, what was that McDaniel said? Like, lefty masher or whatever? I was like, yeah, I like that. And I guess uh, he got Matt Manning a time or two, didn't he? Uh, yeah, he did. He embarrassed Matt Manning <laughs> a little bit. Uh, the curveball he hit out was a very bad pitch. And he did what a good hitter should do with a very bad pitch. So it was a little bit on Matt. And uh, and Colt, Colt executed uh, and then he, he lined, you know, I guess it was 100-plus exit velocity single off a Manning slider that was actually a pretty good pitch. Keith said he thought it was a pitcher's pitch. So that's all to say, look, anyone who thought Cole Keith was actually in the mix for the roster was not living in reality. He's not played above high A. Didn't even play a full season in high A. Uh, he was never going to skip. That's an example of short-term versus long-term. Cole Keith could hit. 400 with five home runs this spring. They're still not going to have him skip double A and triple A. Uh, people wanted Riley Green to do that a couple years ago when he had a great spring. Well, you know, the big leagues were an adjustment for Riley last year. Akil Badu got to the big leagues without having played above high A, uh, exceeded all expectations, and then there was kind of a crash, and then he needed time in the minors. So that was never going to happen with Cole Keith. But I will say, I was kind of not fully buying the Colt Keith hype train. I liked his hit tool a lot, but I was like, I just feel like this kid's getting overhyped. I feel like whoever's kind of the most prominent prospect, people are just bound to overhype. It, it felt a little Dylan Dingler-ish. And I think Colt Keith has quickly changed my mind because this guy has a legit, legit hit tool. He really has started leaning into his power like I wanted to see him do last year. I mean, he's no longer closing himself off and trying to slap it the other way. He is a big kid. He is built as much as anyone in this entire organization. I have a story on Colt running Monday. He spent the offseason working out with a former SEC track coach uh, who's worked with Olympians really pushed himself to the brink. He was like throwing up, which made me think how many MLB players push themselves to the point of like vomiting during workouts. I'd say probably not that many. And that doesn't mean they don't work hard. It's just, you know, it, baseball isn't necessarily a sport that demands you have like that level of, of conditioning to where you're vomiting, you know? Uh, but Cole Keith was out there doing that type of stuff. So he wants to get better and quicker in the field. And he doesn't need to work on that. I don't like, I don't, He's pretty stiff at third base. Uh, people are mentioning second as like an alternative. Uh, based on his movements, I think he would be worse at second. Kind of looks a little bit like an outfielder to me, but Colt's putting in a lot of work. He's still young. Maybe he will improve at third base. And if he ends up having to move elsewhere, that's not the worst thing, uh, the, the worst thing in the world. So I don't know about the fielding, but the hit tool is pretty legit. I'm starting to like Colt Keith quite a bit. Yeah, so for some perspective, he's played in only 113 games as a professional. So, like, there's still a lot of growth that's going to come from that. And uh, and that doesn't mean you can't get excited for him and, you know, love those stories about hitting on Matt Manning and then whatever he does in spring training. But, uh, like you said, that's a big picture element there for him. I will say that I am just slightly annoyed at the amount of third base options that also say well he'll probably end up in the outfield I, there's too many for my comfort cody spent i spent a lot of time watching justin henry malloy and colt keith in kind of the second group uh on a different field from the the sure thing big league guys taking grounders i was more interested in watching them than i was the big league guys and i don't know uh I hope I'm wrong about their ability to play third base. Let me just put it that way. I, I, I personally saw two outfielders, but maybe I'm wrong. You know, Not here to doubt them or say they can't do it. I'm just going to say they definitely um, have room to improve their lateral quickness, their footwork, etc. Yeah, and I guess it should be noted that you know more time on Keith's side than the J-Hen just because, yeah. you know, One's a college guy, and the other one's got high school. So, who knows? We still don't really know what kind of body Colt's gonna have. You know, by the time he's major league ready. So, 
lot, a lot of projecting uh, there as well. All right, well, the transition from somebody who is also not, you know, not going to make the team, someone who's also not going to make the team, but their journeys to this point are completely different. Uh, Parker Meadows. So Parker Meadows, who's got, I just had it, 378 games in the minors under his belt. Uh, it came on last year, one of the best stories of the of the minors season for the Tigers. In fact, it was one of those things where like, is he? It, I think we might have even said this probably. Is, is he? Is it real? Is it? Is it actually happening for him? And to his credit, it kind of seems real. And he hit a home run. You can see it unless you're on Twitter and saw someone share the video. Uh, and the Tigers spring train opener started the game in the outfield with his brother, Austin. I can only imagine what that was like for their family. You know, there's always something, Cody, at the beginning of spring training. That's just like one of those just awesome feel-good stories. And given what that family's been through, both just the rigors of baseball and then the rigors of life as well, it's hard to think of a better moment uh, for them than Parker hitting that home run. And Austin nearly having one himself, uh, which is, is pretty cool. Uh what was that like since no one could even see it? Like, Parker, is he is he still this lean, mean hitting machine uh, that that kind of rose up the ranks in the minors and kind of get, gets us thinking, could, could could we see a Meadows, Meadows green in the outfield this year? Is that possible? Yeah, to go back to the, the J-Hen Keith thing we were just talking about, one reason I don't want to put my foot down and say, no, these guys can't do it, they can't play third base, is because... Remember the first year of this pod, we would occasionally joke at Parker Meadows' expense. Yeah. And guess mm-hmm. who proved us wrong? Parker mm-hmm. Meadows had a terrific one swing adjustment was all it took, and he had a terrific year in the minors, and so far is absolutely carrying it over. I would say, you know, his swing looks even better, even quicker to me so far this spring. Um, you know, upper level pitching is is a different beast. You know, he's still gonna swing and miss and strike out some. Um, so we'll see exactly what his future holds, but he's put himself on the map. And I think if there are, there's an injury or two in the outfield. Yeah. I think, uh, I think Parker Meadows could absolutely debut at some point, you know, later this summer. Um, wouldn't it be unfortunate if he like, you know, Austin got injured and Parker came up to take his brother's place, you know, like, like that is a realistic scenario. Uh, but it was it was super cool on Saturday to see Parker Homer to see Austin almost Homer. He thinks it was fair. I I don't. But I was sitting there as foul. But um, you know, after after the game, we kind of head down there, and his his parents are down there, and they're taking pictures with Austin's baby daughter. And uh, I don't always like to lean into the just like the corny story too much, but I was just like, damn it, this is too, this is too good. You know, this is, this is great. This is really awesome to just kind of watch unfold and went and chatted with the parents a little bit for, for my story. And they were super nice, very just regular down to earth people. Uh, they were both college athletes themselves. So it definitely runs in the family. Uh, but they were, you know, they were very nice, drove kind of all through the night to make sure they could be there to watch their their two sons play on the same field. And, you know, I joked, you guys might be doing this again in Detroit soon. And they were like, yeah, no, no matter what, we'll be there. Don't worry. Uh, so it's, it's certainly been really cool to watch this Meadows dynamic unfold so far in spring training and to think about, you know, what it might end up looking like in the future. Uh, hard to say, but... Uh, Parker looks like a dude who can play, and I think at some point probably will play in the major leagues. Does he stick? How good can he be? Um, I don't know if anyone's quite sure on that yet, but he's he's put in the work to transform himself as a player over the past year, past couple of years, and it's made a difference. Yeah, I'm just looking at his stats. Justin Erie last year, uh, and they're no joke. I mean, he played 113, yeah. 113 games. You know, just go with the basic numbers here. 275, 354 on base. He had 90 strikeouts, 52 walks. Uh, you know, but and he's got the speed. He had six triples. Uh, I, I'm not. Sure, I don't. I don't know about his defense. I haven't watched him play, like play a full game. He covers whatever, a lot of ground. I don't know he, if he necessarily has the instincts Riley Green has, but he covers more ground than Riley. So I, I would 
love to see, you know, which one is actually the better center fielder. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm not sure. I think they're different types of defenders. Well, there, there. he's another guy that kind of fits into that category. Parker, that is, of has the sport and specifically Scott Harris coming in kind of broken his way. You know, like the he's a lefty, no more shift. He, yeah. You know, there's going to be a higher emphasis on athleticism. Guy's a hell of an athlete and a big one too. So, uh, let's see, what's his height? He's listed at uh, I just had it. Let's at six five. So <laughs> when you're six five and you can run, and the bases are bigger, presumably you're going to have a better time <laughs> stealing bases. So. Uh, I find myself getting more excited for Parker than I really thought I was going to, and the story itself is enough to kind of get on that train, but it it just seems to me there's a lot of things that are going his way, including his own improvement, and yeah, I think I would would expect to have him come in... uh, come in this year as well, and if that is also one of the things that helps Austin, just like, you know, the mental stuff, you know, I it, it seems to me like that could help out the team in, in multiple facets. So, um, I'm, I'm, like I said, I'm excited to see what happens to uh, Parker here going forward. Another great thing, Cody, that happened was, when did you publish that story? Was it Friday about Veerling and Mayton? It was a Friday uh, that That published? was actually Matt Gelb. That was our Phillies writer. I that was your Phillies story. writer. That's right. That's right. Well, that story published. And it's right. I'm working on a story about Maton. I kind of got scooped by my own company a little bit here. I might, I don't, I don't know. I was going to write about the <laughs> Wolfie thing, and now that's already out there a little bit. So we'll see. I'll, I'll probably still write that story, but um, yeah, Matt, Matt scooped me a little bit. Okay. Well, that, that's my bad because I just like click on the Tigers and I just assume it's yeah, you. People assumed it was mine. I'll take it. I, I don't get the credit for it, but you know, in our like internal metrics, but you know what? I'll take it. <laughs> unofficially getting credit for the story but anywho that story publishes and then on sunday both of them hit home runs which means here in a second we're gonna have to update our harris kind of guy rankings a little bit we'll get to that in a second but one of the things that struck uh me cody reading that story was i mean how would i know this unless i'm following the phillies like full time or whatever but they really came across as glue guys and Mm -hmm. like like great clubhouse presences uh for the phillies in a you know kind of a long season don't know if you guys remember what happened but you know they made it a decent way and it it got me thinking like is that also what this team needs is that also what in addition to the versatility and the dominating the strike zone the athleticism and like all these things that scott harris has kind of put out there I don't remember anybody saying, like, yeah, Matt Vierling and Nick Maton, like, they're great guys. Great guys to have around. It's a long season. These are the kind of dudes that keep a team fresh. And anyone can kind of decide for themselves how valuable that is. But it's definitely not zero. And if it seems to me the team was kind of stale last year with, you know, just the losing and the different kind of weird things going on with several players and their personal lives or otherwise. And if these dudes are a breath of fresh air, it makes me seem like maybe their impact will be a little bit more valuable than I initially thought. And then, like I said, the story comes out and they both homer in uh, in their Detroit Tigers debut because they didn't play on Saturday, and they're, uh, if I remember correct, uh, in their Detroit Tigers debut. So, you know, we're... We give out flowers on this podcast occasionally. Kind of seems like Scott's got to earn some flowers for bringing two guys in in their first uh, game. Yeah, you know, I, I I put on Twitter after the Veerling homer sarcastically, like greatest trade in franchise history. <laughs> and sure enough, at least five people have thought I was serious, and they're like, "It's spring training, dude, chill out." So I got all right. You you clearly don't get it. That's that's hilarious. Donnie Sands came up to bat in the second half of that game. I was like, if if Donnie Sands homers, we're just. I'm just going to have to build a statue of Scott Harris, I guess. <laughs> uh, but no, the personality thing is definitely real. I super agree. It's something the team needed. Scott and AJ both alluded to that a couple times this offseason, and that was part of the reason they brought that. Matt Boyd was personality. I think I talked about it a lot on the pod last year. The clubhouse was just it just had kind of a negative vibe, and there weren't really 
bad dudes on the team, but it was it was a weird mesh of personalities. I definitely don't think you had a lot of upbeat energy guys, and especially when the team started struggling, um, you know there there wasn't really anyone to lift that room up. I, I, the word moody was thrown around a couple times, and there were some personalities on that team that came across as moody. You know, and, and there's still a few guys of those around, but they're more the Boyd, the Maton, Veerling. Scott Harris has said uh, on the radio that he, he wants Mize and Scooble to spend a lot of time in Detroit this year while they're rehabbing. And I think some of that's for them, so they go ahead and stay involved. But I wonder if some of that's for the team and the clubhouse, too, because those are two serious guys with winning attitudes, you know, also who bring something positive to the clubhouse in a little bit of a different way. Maton's definitely a high-energy dude. That was his rep in Philly. You can see it a little bit. Just watch him on the field. You can see it. Veerling's got a good personality to himself. There's no way to quantify this. At the end of the day, it's going to come down to, are they good players? Can they hit? Uh, but it is certainly another thing to like. And certainly, you know, we'll see how it plays out. Everyone's in a good mood in spring training. But I think that's going to make the clubhouse overall um, a, a better place to be. Uh, not just for the media, for the other guys on the team. I think they bring a, a, a cool vibe, and I think it's has helped them adjust to the Tigers, the fact that they came together. It's not like one of them was kind of on an island by himself, getting used to this new team. They're kind of attached at the hip. They, they do everything together, but they've also acclimated to the overall uh, team really well and, and can bring some winning experience, by the way, too. They've played on a Phillies team that made a run to the World Series, uh, not many guys in the clubhouse can claim anything like that. Yeah, and Kyle Schwarber spoke glowingly of them. Like yeah, you would, yeah. you would have thought those guys were either like the godparents of his children, or <laughs> like had hit like a walk-off home run in every round of the playoffs. You know the way that he was uh, talking about them, and and that's all good. That, that I think also maybe we take for granted the fact that they came from like a winning team, a pennant winning team uh, last year because they were sort of like the, the role guys, the the come in, you know, in certain spot type dudes, not the stars, the Harpers, the Knicks of the world, you know, but that's I, I that, kind that's of believe in that, man. For as much as I believe in analytics and, and numbers and building a baseball team, like I think it's a general management philosophy. I don't I like to be around successful people, you know. I think uh, I think AJ Hinch obviously holds himself to a high standard. You have, like I said, Mize and Scooble hold themselves to very high standards. You got Maton and Veerling who are used to winning. I think when people are used to winning, they're less prone to accept losing, less prone to accept mm-hmm. failure. And when you get a collection of those people, I think it somehow can inexplicably impact performance. Yeah, I, I think you're right. If I'm and building a team, a company, you know, I, I want I want some winners around me. I want some people who are not going to be okay with subpar results. And that kind of enthusiasm and, you know, bringing that every day can bring that back out of somebody who maybe... Brings it out of other people, right. It brings it out of other people, especially ones who maybe just are a little you know maybe jaded or have just kind of been through it as much that like the that enthusiasm uh lowers a little bit and maybe they kind of lose themselves a little bit and a guy that that i'm curious if this rubs off on him would be javier Baez. like javier javier Baez is a guy that made his mark in this league for his flair and his enthusiasm and it got sour at the end in, in Chicago and it was it had its low points with the Mets as well and he comes to Detroit and he's got the big contract now and the swing and misses are punchlines and the lapses in judgment are scrutinized heavily and about saying that that's necessarily wrong like you you he needs to perform better but my fear is like is he gonna kind of tunnel himself and if guys like Beerling and Maton can kind of help bring out the best in hobby I think that's going to be obviously a great thing for this team and organization in general moving forward that being said AJ Hinch it seems did a lot of work on this uh 
in the off season, and we talked about at the time because he had said it. We talked about at the time that AJ needed to figure out how to manage Javi, and it seems to me that whatever method he's going to use is what he believes to be the trial and error right method. Like he's tried a couple of different things, and this is how he's going to move forward. You you wrote about it this week. Uh, the extent in which AJ has gone to try to get the best out of Javi. And it's, if it doesn't work, it's not going to be for a lack of trying. Yeah. I mean, I, I think this really reveals a lot about AJ Hinch. Um, I think there are other managers out there, very good managers who, I mean, I don't know. Do you think Bruce Bochy or Terry Francona are sacrificing their off season time with their families to go, uh, visit a player, you know, in Puerto Rico. I, I don't think that's a very common thing. I'm sure there are managers who have done it, but I don't think it's very common. And AJ took the time, and I think that's because after a year of getting to know Javi, uh, that really meshes with everything. You know, I've always heard about Javi and learned through a lot of reporting on him. This is a, he's a different guy, and he really values trust and he has to trust you uh you know in order for you to be able to trust him and i think he does a lot better in one-on-one settings than he does a room full of people and i think aj hinch knew that and not only did he he learn it last year i think he started to identify ways to tap into that um i think it was good you know they they went around javi's uh, they went around the island. They saw where Javi grew up. They went around Javi's farm, stuff like that. I can't help but think that has to be beneficial. That has to mean something to Javi Baez. Javi himself was a little more vague in talking about it. I uh, I think he was almost embarrassed a little bit. Like he didn't want to be singled out for like, oh yeah, the manager came to see you know me. Um, but I think it tells you a lot really about both of these guys. Makes me wonder, makes me wonder, like, could this bring out the best version of Javi Baez? I don't know if it will. He's always going to swing at sliders in the other batter's box. He's not going to stop doing that. Uh, but could could you get the best version of Javi, more that 2018, 2019 Javi Baez? I don't know, but I think if anything gives me confidence in that, it is with Javi, the human element, and, it, you know, A.J. Hinch really going out of his way to try to tap into that. Well... Here's the thing. It's they're not like directly tied at the hip, but they kind of are. Like his contract is 6 years and AJ's is uh goes almost the same length, not quite if uh, if yeah, I remember correctly. 2025. So if they fail together uh or one of them fails, I should say, it's likely going to bring down the other in some fashion. Like if, oh, if it's, Javi- it's kind of like the L thing. They are not similar personalities but they are they both have skin in this game and they are linked to each other through that so they got to find a way to make it work yeah so i'll be interested to see there's there's a it seems like he doesn't nobody with well i almost don't even want to bring this up because it's kind of meaningless but neither him nor eduardo uh seemed very interested in speculating about the uh the contract uh opt-out which uh a, it's the right thing to do. It's yeah, like what, what you're supposed what to say. say? But uh, at the same time, it's Javi also... Javi said more a- about it than Eduardo. I mean, it was typical stuff like, you know, I want to build a winner here and whatever. But like, something that we have to ask and they have to give a generic quote. So I don't, I wouldn't put too much stake yeah, in yeah, yeah, anything. Yeah. I mean, and the, the one guy, Manny Machado, said he was for sure going to opt out. And then he <laughs> signed an 11-year extension. So it's like, it's all meaningless. <laughs> sure. <laughs> It's all meaningless. Um, well, we okay. So we mentioned Mayton earlier. Uh, another guy that's that he's in a heavy competition with for that third base job is Andy Abanez. Who, if I were to say the most interesting evaluation on this team. I don't know how many people I'm putting above Andy Abanez because he's got starting experience in the major leagues and he comes to this team as a well, he was he was a minor league minor league deal right uh and so mm-hmm. nothing guaranteed then he's leaving like a lot of guys are leaving 
to go play in the World Baseball Classic. Good for him. That's awesome. But it's also it's also time missed in Lakeland, which uh, can't be underestimated either. Uh, and I don't know. I, I just I feel like there's value in, in what he brings to the Tigers, but I'm also afraid he won't be able to show it as much what do you what do you think about that's Andy right Myers? you you sparked my memory this is what the aj quote about short and long-term evaluations was about it was about exactly that he's going to play in the wbc how does that factor into the guy you you kind of need to see a lot and i think uh some of it will be based on history and what he's done well in the past like hitting left-handed pitching um showing a history of contact skills Abanez so far, I like. I've liked him more than I thought he thought I would. He's off to a pretty good start in camp. He's uh, showed those contact skills in live BP. Notched a single in the first spring game. Looks pretty smooth out at third base. I don't think they've moved him around. Like had him play second, like they have everyone else. Uh, not really sure why. But if I did do a roster projection right now, I think Andy Ibanez has kind of a leg up on the other guys in this infield competition. Now, there's a long way to go. A lot can change in this spring. Um, but, you know, I, I, I thought it was going to be all about Cesar Hernandez. Right now, I think Andy Ibanez would make the roster over Cesar Hernandez. Easy to say that after two spring training games. Who knows? <laughs> um, and in that in that regard, I almost wonder if going the, to the WBC helps him. Like, he can't make a negative impression, you know. If he gets out right when he's on the upswing, you know, they already like his track record against lefties. Bonnie's might just have a shot here. Yeah, I mean, I was kind of thinking, it reminded me of what I was talking about a couple of weeks ago with Kerry Carpenter in a way where I was like, what was wrong with Kerry Carpenter last year? And it's like, well, nothing, you know? And, and I look at the profile of Ibanez, having never actually really like watched him, watched him, but you know, just on what I read, it's like, you know, what's really wrong with him? Oh, I don't know. The, the Rangers really gave him, the Rangers gave him a pretty good shot last year and didn't like him. I mean, that's true, but they were, they were a funky roster construction at the time uh, and, 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 and continue to be as well so i don't know i don't it, it it just it makes me it makes me think all right maybe maybe there's something here maybe there's something here is there any is there now that you're kind of a weekend and have watched these guys a lot of them for more than a week is you know pitchers and then guys come in early is there anyone that's kind of a oh, maybe there's something here a little sleeper element to guys in camp I think the biggest sleeper right now is Jonathan Davis, a center fielder, you know, came over from the Brewers organization, minor league deal. Um, terrific defender, can swipe some bags, doesn't have a great major league history. I mean, small sample, but major league batting average, I think is 197 in his career. But he's hit a little bit in AAA. He is an older guy, uh, so I don't think that works in his favor. But say the Tigers wanted another outfield option, right-handed bat in the outfield, that would probably be contingent on Veerling actually playing a little bit of infield. Uh, but he brings some of the things Akil Badu brings. Some speed. He's a better defender than Akil Badu by a long shot. Actually, probably kind of similar hitting profiles, except uh, Davis is right-handed. I don't, I'm not saying I'm enthralled with him as a player. I don't know how much upside is there. But if you want kind of a speed and defense guy off your bench and a right-handed bat, um, he's a guy who hasn't gotten a ton of pub, hasn't been mentioned as much as Hernandez and Abanez, who I think we would be um, amiss to just automatically write off. All right. Well, then who... So who does he ruined then like who who does who does he kind of who, who he who is he the these the disruptor of i guess is the best way to put it yeah uh i mean caesar i think you know caesar has shown the ability to hit for contact so far in camp we'll see if he can tap into any power i think that would help him he looks pretty good at second base he does not look very comfortable at third base so um I think the Tigers would rather have a third baseman so they can leave scope at second. I don't think that's great news for Caesar, although it's early in camp. Probably not great news for Ryan Kreidler starting in the majors, kind of guys of of that ilk. Not good for the idea of Badu and Kerry Carpenter on the same roster, which 
I increasingly don't think that'll happen. I don't think the Tigers will have four left-handed outfielders to start the season at the same time. So it could influence a number of guys. And again, depending on how much does Veerling play infield and all these other factors, they can build this roster a few different ways. I don't think, as I said at the start of this pod, I'm not even sure they're exactly sure you know, what the answer is or what they want to do right now. I would just say these are uh, the early way it's trending, but things tend to change throughout camp at the same time. Yeah. Hard not to be prisoners in the moment, as I said, after two spring training games, and especially when someone has a story that uh, you you love or whatever, and the guy that that comes to mind was today, Jake Rogers had a home run, making his first, playing in his first, you know, major league game. I know it's spring training, but major league game in two years or whatever, and hits a home run. I obviously can't watch the game, so I don't know how he called the game or uh you know if he you know what defensively he did anything but to see jake rogers out there and to see him hit a home run kind of reminded you that he had started to kind of figure out the bat just a little bit before the injury so you know good good on jake the your little amarillo boy over there yeah uh jake and heston kerstad on the same field amarillo was well represented (laughs) as was stillwater with uh jackson holiday so i was i was loving that uh, I think Jake versus Donnie Sands could become a really interesting battle. Donnie didn't didn't look great in its couple at bats, but very small sample. Did you could see his pitch framing skills, man? Donnie Sands could uh, can really receive. Jake obviously brings the arm, which might be as important as ever this season with the rule changes. And his homer kind of you know it was a little bit wind blown. It was to right field, but it was a little bit of a reminder that. Even when there were questions, and there still are, about Jake's hit tool and does he strike out too much and can't even hit 200, uh, he's got a little pop in the bat, really has throughout his pro career, and and that is not bad to have in your second catcher. I think, I think it's going to be really fascinating to watch this conversation, competition unfold. Um, if it's close, I think they will give it to Jake because he's been in the org. And if there's an injury, you know, Donnie will be ready to come up right away. I guess you can't rule out Andrew Knapp either. We haven't seen um, a ton of him so far. But good early sign. You know, what What better for Jake? First game of any sort since 2021, any homers, and uh, didn't do anything noticeably wrong defensively. I think it's hard to judge calling a game in spring a lot because guys are just trying to work on stuff for the most part. But. I uh, didn't really get to see his arm. Um, I, I want to see that, see if it's really still, you know, as as elite as it was pre-Tommy John. But all signs good so far. Another guy who apparently, not apparently, that makes it sound dismissive, but another guy whose value extends beyond the field, as you wrote about this week. Yeah, it's been funny to watch. Again, like growing up, I don't really remember Jake being this way. And even early on in the Tigers system, I don't remember him being this way. But he's really, you can tell he's just comfortable now because the guy's a freaking jokester, you know, from the mustache. To he's walking around in a tuxedo t-shirt or a cowboy hat and like, but everybody likes Jake. Like, he is very popular amongst his teammates. And so, uh, you know, that's that's got to be a good quality to have. Yeah, I'm actually – I have an assignment for you, Cody. I need you to uh, figure out the bad guys on the team and start writing about that because I'm getting too attached to good guys <laughs> and good stories. Donnie Sands, Jake Rogers, they, these guys are literally competing for the same job. And it's like, well, I kind of like them both, you know, like – can one of them have like, you know, been rude to his mom at dinner or something before? <laughs> you know, like so I could so I could change my opinion a little bit. You know, uh, so yeah, I mean, but overall, if you got a, if you got a bunch of glue guys, that's that'll be good as we as we talked about earlier. So it's time now, Cody, for the uh, the updated HKG rankings. So if you're new to this pod, HKG Harris kind of guys. He seems that he has brought in players that fit exactly the kind of profile that he spoke about at his opening press conference and has continued as such. And we are trademarking unofficially the Harris principle. That's what that means as well. So Harris kind of guys. I think you have to choose right now who's number one between Maton and Beerling. They both hit home runs in their Tigers debut. I 
looked at the because I can't watch the game. I looked at the sequence of which they both hit their home run. So Maton, it was a 1-0 pitch or a one yeah a 1-0 count. He took a ball obviously and then he hits a home run. Beerling, 2-2 count with a couple fouls and hits a home run. So he took two balls. I know what you're thinking. Well, this guy worked the count better. He's got to be number one. Nope, I can't do it. Harris kind of guy, Nick Maton, number one, because he didn't have to waste pitches in order to get the home run. He saw it, he connected, and he got it out of the park. And And he also, that was his first swing as a Tiger. So I gave him a little bit of an edge there. I believe Nick Maton is number one Harris kind of guy right now. Yeah, I could buy it. Yeah, I'm going to stick with, I'm going to stand by Veerling. Um, there's just so much data that makes him an enticing player. We've talked about that before. One of the things with Maton that I want to see play out a little more, he's crushed fastballs throughout his career and at every level, including the big leagues, and that's great. Still a very short sample of time in the big leagues, but even toward the end of, of his stint last year, started seeing a lot more breaking stuff, um, and that's going to continue to be his rep, his profile. There's going to be a time where he's just not getting fastballs. And so I really need to see how he adjusts to that. For that reason, I'm going to say Veerling 1, Maton 2, um, Henry Malloy, of course, still in the mix. I, I need to see him do a little something in camp. Great personality. I need, I, need to see him, I need to see him do a little something. He hasn't really done anything to make himself stand out uh, so far. Okay, okay. And we'll yeah, see I... We'll see uh, Boyd and Lorenzen pitch this coming week so we can mm-hmm. slot them in afterward. And some of these bullpen guys are going to make them put themselves... I'm, I'm starting to like the pitching. I know I said a couple weeks ago I was actually skeptical. Like I, I like these non-roster bullpen guys they brought in. Whistler with the slider... I've been hyping up Winginter for a while now. If Trey Winginter throws strikes, he could be your closer. I mean, his stuff is disgusting. Easily looks the best out of pitchers throwing on the backfield. So uh, a lot to play out. A lot of new Scott Harris guys. Donnie Sands can fit somewhere in that in that mix as well. So, uh, but for now, you know, Veerling and Maton have taken taken that mantle. Yeah, and by the way, another guy uh, with an incredible story you wrote about this week. Uh, so, need to get, like I said, need to have some bad dudes on the team so we so we <laughs> can kind of balance this out, you know. And, and maybe it, we we will always have more elements to bring into the Harris kind of guy. Like last week, it was they're all good looking. So there's going to be more things that kind of he's revealing. All right, himself. all right. Well, I had I had someone pose this question to me. Who is the number one AJ Hinch kind of guy, and why is it Zach Short? <laughs> because Zach Short is still in the forty man, to the surprise of some. But Zach Short is a great conversationalist, and he is a terrific golfer. And it seems like AJ Hinch loves that, and he's a good defender. You know, fundamental ball player. <laughs> Hey, he might be a part-time coach uh, for this team, trying to yeah, how right, to, right. How, how to deal with the pitch clock or whatever, you know. <laughs> so that's another thing too for people to figure out uh, to keep in mind as this. Uh, and Zach Short is also a podcaster, so I mean, we we got to give this guy some props here. All right, yeah, all right. I I like that answer. We'll continue to update those rankings as uh, as we see fit as well. Uh, anything else, Cody? You want to plug or get into? No, I'm going Andy Abanez, number two, A.J. Hinch kind of guy. A.J. Hinch seems to like him, some Andy Abanez a lot. Uh, another underrated story, Chris Illich was in Lakeland this week. We didn't even oh, talk yeah. about that. Forgot. He didn't talk to reporters, so we're not giving him free pub for not talking to reporters. <laughs> some did. Uh, I, I had a rant about that. Since we're at the end of the pod, I'll just save it. But Chris Illich was there. I guess they're getting a new team playing. Uh, remember, I mentioned that on the pod. Last year, there's still ashtrays on the team playing. So, good move. Also, an overdue move. And a clubhouse. Uh... Uh, some clubhouse upgrades. Uh, we don't know exactly what that was. That was, again, weird. Okay, now I'm getting off on my rant. That was, again, weird messaging. It wasn't like form Like, that only came out publicly because Spencer Torkelson told Jeff Seidel that. It was like, why is Spencer Torkelson breaking this news? I guess the PR strat, uh, maybe the strategy was to like not have Illich talk. That way he can't have any gaffes. Kind of like, uh, you know, certain presidential candidates. That's been like their their strategy was like say as little as possible. 
Um, maybe that's what they're going for. Uh, still, they should have like given more details on what was actually happening. All right, that's all I got. I'm done. <laughs> End of rant. Well, uh, I want to remind people if they didn't see it on Twitter, which at Cody Stavenhagen, at Kieran underscore Steckling, at TurnCornerPod, we have ventured into the video realm a little bit, just going to post some clips of us talking um, on the pod so we can be on, on the tube, on the YouTube, and you know expand our reach that way. So if you're a guy who or girl who subscribes to things on YouTube, uh, please subscribe to our channel. It's just at Turn the Corner podcast, and uh, and we'll be posting videos um, throughout the season, just maybe one or two a week, just little clips here and there, so we have a expanded digital presence. So hope you guys do that as well. Subscribe on Apple and Spotify. Subscribe to The Athletic. Five-star review on Apple and Spotify if you feel so inclined. So for Cody Stavenhagen, I'm Kieran Steckley. Everybody have an amazing week.